This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, did you miss the Aurora Borealis last weekend? Me too! And I'm not going to let that happen again. So today I'm speaking with a man who's helped more budding stargazers in Denver than anyone about the best places to go and how to start. Today is Thursday, April 27th. I'm Paul Caroli in for Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Ron Rannick, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Ron, Netflix, HBO Max, Hulu, they're all very good. The Nuggets and the Avalanche are in the playoffs. There's lots of competing demands for my attention. What does the night sky have to compete? Oh, the night sky has so much to compete with all the things that people like to do from the the living room couch or the family room couch. and. Uh, getting out under the stars is one of the things that I've enjoyed for decades, and um, my involvement in Denver Astronomical Society allows me to share that love of getting out under the stars with the public, and I've been doing that for for quite a few years. So some of you may um, recall having heard the news about the Northern Lights being visible in Colorado a few evenings ago, and um, indeed that was one of those spectacular events that is a good draw to get people out under the stars. Of course, you had to get out away from the city lights and away from the clouds, but there was a spectacular Northern Light show just a few days ago. Yeah, tell me about that. I, I saw people were excited about that, but I have to admit I did not realize that the Northern Lights would ever be visible here. Well, the Northern Lights are produced by um, an interaction between the Earth's geomagnetic field and energy from the sun. And on Friday of last week, the 21st of of April, a coronal mass ejection, or CME, was unleashed by the sun, and it blasted its way toward Earth. And on Sunday, the CME hit, and when the sun went down, the Northern Lights turned on. You're right, most of the time the northern lights aren't visible this far south, but people saw and photographed the northern lights from some from darker sky locations, such as the Pawnee National Grasslands near the Pawnee Buttes, and out of northeastern Colorado near the small town of Iliff, and even uh, near the metro area out by Elizabeth, um, just enough to get away from the bright city lights of Denver. Those same northern lights were um, reported early in the week to be visible as far south as northern Mexico. So it was a a pretty spectacular event. And uh, for those who were able to get out and see it and had skies that cooperated, they were um, awarded with a really nice visual treat. Well, you just mentioned my very favorite place in Colorado to go stargazing. That's the Pawnee Buttes. I don't think a lot of people know about that, which is great. So it's not very crowded and it's very dark. I saw um, the comet Neowise there. 
few years ago when that guy was coming through. That was pretty spectacular. What are your favorite spots personally? Well, number one is going to be here in the city. And you might think, well, wait a minute, how can you enjoy stargazing from the city? And I've got to give a little plug for Denver Astronomical Society because the, the organization teams up with the University of Denver uh, to do public outreach at DU's historic Chamberlain Observatory. Uh, the observatory was built in the late 1800s and is still in use today and has done a lot of science early in its existence. And more recently, and I say more recently, in the last decades, it's been used for public outreach and education. And uh, DAS holds monthly open houses at the observatory during which uh, members set up telescopes on the park lawn for the public to to take a peek through. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah, you all helped me uh, fix a telescope, actually, a couple of years ago at one of those open houses. It was a blast. When's the next one? The open houses are scheduled on the Saturday closest to the first quarter moon. For April, um, our next open house is on Saturday the 29th. And members will have scopes set up on the lawn. There's no charge to look through those scopes. People can come and kick the tires if they're shopping for a scope and are curious, you know, which one to get. Well, try before you buy. The nice thing about observing like that from within the city is you can really enjoy objects like the moon, the planets, um, brighter star clusters, uh, some of the dim fuzzies that are brighter like the Orion Nebula. But there are, there are quite a few things that surprisingly look quite good from the city. We even do some daytime things and, and enjoy views of our daytime star, the sun. Now, if you really want to get into the um, the dim fuzzies, then you do need to go out to a dark sky location. And that's I think that would be my number two. Pawnee National Grasslands up by the Pawnee Buttes. Great place. And you're right. I think a lot of people don't know about it, but it's a spectacular. It's the best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got great dark skies. A uh, good place to go camping and hiking and and enjoy the outdoors. There's um, there's actually a place closer to Denver that might surprise people. Castlewood Canyon State Park, south of Denver, is not too bad. I know that a number of people have enjoyed nighttime observing from the parking lot there. Of course, you have to pay attention to when the park closes because state parks sometimes have hours of operation that, uh, that may preclude staying overnight. So you may have to button up your telescope or binoculars or whatever and, and head out by 10 or 11, depending on what the opening or operating hours are. So that's another good one. And then beyond that, pretty much any place that gets away from the bright lights of the Denver metro area. So that could be nothing more than driving out Interstate 70 toward the east to find a pull-off or an exit where you're far enough away from the light dome of Denver to, to be able to take a look at the sky and, and enjoy the night sky from there. You know, that reminds me of something I've always wondered about. Here in Colorado, you know, we're at high elevation, so like one mile closer to the stars. Does that matter? Are the mountains actually a better place to stargaze, or do you generally prefer the plains? If Some people might think, well, I'm going to go to the mountains and, and enjoy the night sky there. That's okay, but keep in mind that when you, when you get into the mountains, particularly if you've got higher mountains surrounding you, you're going to be cutting off your view of some of the sky. And that may not allow you to see certain things that are, you know, down down low above the horizon in any direction where those mountains might block the view. Uh, some people also think, well, gee, if I go to a real high elevation like the top of Mount Evans or Pikes Peak in the summertime, you know, if you, assuming you can get, get through the gates, uh, that that's going to be the best view. But when you get above about 10,000 feet or so, the reduced oxygen tends to reduce visual acuity. So the higher elevation, yes, does get you above a lot of the Earth's atmosphere, but it also reduces visual acuity. So you don't get 
to enjoy the view as, as nicely as you thought you would. Uh, so stick, stick to elevations no more than about 10,000 feet, preferably a place that's got a relatively unobstructed horizon. That can be key because some of the fun things that, um, that we like to look at are down low on the horizon, either um, uh, close to sunset or right after sunset uh, in the evening, or if you're, you're really ambitious and want to get up early, early, early in the morning before sunrise. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. <laughs> Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. So let's say I attend this open house on Saturday at the Chamberlain Observatory, kick the tires on some telescopes. You know, I'm just a beginner, just curious to get into this thing a little bit more. What should I be looking for in a starter telescope? Well, I'd like to tell people the, the best telescope is the one that you'll use. And what some people will do is make the mistake, well, they, they make one of two mistakes. One is they buy a really cheap, poor quality telescope. We call them department store grade telescopes. And it's the, the infamous 60 millimeter refractor with the wobbly mount uh, and the poor quality eyepieces. When people get those, they look through them a time or two and realize the view is just awful. The quality of the optics is generally awful. The, the mount is too wobbly. They can't get a stable view. And the thing winds up in the closet or the dumpster. And, and unfortunately, they don't use it again. And the other mistake that some people will make is, well, gee, if, if big telescopes are, are good, why not get bigger? And they'll, they'll buy a, a big telescope that's heavy. It's difficult to transport. Not easy to carry around even even from the closet inside the house to the patio or the driveway. And they'll use it a few times and say, this thing is too difficult to set up. It's too heavy. It's too clumsy and bulky to, to try to transport. And that winds up in the closet. So generally something smaller 
in physical mm-hmm. size. There are some really good guides guidelines online that uh, that explain how to choose a first telescope. But I like the idea of of being able to um, get some firsthand on hands on experience at uh, DAS's. Um, monthly open houses. When members have scopes set up on the park lawn, you know there there is usually a wide enough variety of different makes, models, and types and sizes to give people a good idea of of really what to look for. Well, let's talk about that uh, the big boy that's inside the Chamberlain Observatory that you all have down there. What is that one particularly well suited for? Oh, <laughs> that one is especially suited for looking at the planets, uh, double stars, of course, close-ups of the moon, because it has such a long focal length, which is the distance between the lens on the front of the telescope and and the back of the telescope where the eyepiece is. It's an incredible telescope and amazing that it's still in use and still provides fantastic views more than 120 years after the thing was built. Was it built for the Chamberlain Observatory? It was. It was ordered specially and built specially for Chamberlain Observatory. And when I say it's a 20-inch telescope, that's the width of the lens at the front of the scope. The the tube itself is 26 feet long. So it's a pretty good-sized telescope. Interesting. Well, let me um, let me ask you one more question. I mean, we talked about the Aurora Borealis. It sounds like we missed it, but there's probably other good stuff coming up. What what would you be planning around next? What, what's the next big exciting show in the sky to you? Oh gosh, um, there are ongoing meteor showers. I think the Lyrid meteor shower is is underway. Although the weather forecast is not looking too good for for enjoying the Lyrid meteor shower. There's another one coming up in a, I think in another month or a couple months, but it doesn't look to be too good because the moon's going to be in the way. Uh, Beyond that, the planet Venus is still visible in the western sky after sunset, and it's still visible 9, 9.30 at night. looks like an aircraft landing light in the west. Um, Uranus is still up in the night sky. Uh, The Orion Nebula is visible in the southwestern sky in the evening. That looks gorgeous through a, a wide field telescope. You can spot it if you know where to look with binoculars. Uh, even naked eye, you can tell where it is, uh, but the nebulosity starts to show up in binoculars. looks really nice in a telescope. And then there are other objects in the night sky, double stars, which I, I love to look at. Um, one that's a real good test of one's visual acuity and telescope optics is the North Star, Polaris. Uh, most people don't, don't know this or may not know this. The North Star is a double star. And its companion is really Hmm. tiny and really close to Polaris and really dim. And it can be tough to pull out, but that's a, that's a fun one to look at. The middle star and the, the handle of the big dipper is a visual double. And most people can see the visual double naked eye. But when you look at it through a telescope, now you see, oh, that one of those stars is a double star. Beyond that, then there are some fun things like open star clusters and globular star clusters. The Ring Nebula, a little bit later on in the summertime, is, is a fun one to look at. And the list goes on. Well, Ron Rannick, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. And, and uh, let's cross our fingers for clear skies and encourage people to get out and take advantage of looking up. Just look up.
And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Rent control. A few weeks back, we spoke to State Representative Javier Mabry about his effort to get the statewide ban on rent control lifted this session. But this week, that bill died in committee. So there will be no rent control, or rent stabilization as supporters tried to rebrand it, in Denver anytime soon. But that's just one story in this wild week of housing news. We're going to talk about the wacky housing situation more soon, and we'd love to hear from you. What are you really dealing with right now when it comes to finding a good place to live? Is your landlord acting weird? Have you been getting more flyers dropped on your doorstep from realtors like I have? What do you think we should be doing about all of this? The housing hotline is officially open. Send us a text or leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood, and you might hear it on the show. That number is 720-500-5418. Again, that's 720-500-5418. And finally, two important numbers are going up. First, property taxes. According to Denverite, homeowners are in for a shock because, duh, property values are going up, so taxes will be too. And second, the police force has been understaffed relative to their authorized strength of 1,600. But according to Axios Denver, Interim Chief Ron Thomas says that 36 new officers were hired last month, and they're expecting to hire 113 total before the end of the year. Thomas also announced earlier this week that crime rates downtown are dropping. So we're going to have to talk more about that one soon, too. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Ariana Grande about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you then.